Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, John Resnick, founder, frontman, and guitarist for the Goo Goo Dolls. I want to wake up where you are. I won't say anything at all. So why don't you John is a man who loves pie in all of its delicious forms. I chat with the owner of America's First Pizzeria. They claim to have created the iconic New York-style pizza. And then we'll head to a Los Angeles dessert institution to learn all about John's absolute favorite, apple pie. John grew up in a Polish neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, in a big Polish family. Strangely enough, I don't really like Polish food. I really don't like Polish food. I don't know why. I love pierogi. And that's the thing about when you go to Buffalo, there are places where they hand make them and everything's from scratch. And my sisters also do that at Christmas time. They'll make homemade pierogi. And I love sauerkraut pierogi and uh, the potato pierogi. And then they chop up the onions very slow and then butter. Boom. In a cast iron frying pan, butter. But I find it amazing. And, you know, you know a lot about food. So my mother-in-law makes empanadas, which is basically an, an Argentine pierogi. Pierogi, yeah. You know, then you have, like, Chinese dumplings. And then you have, like, a calzone and uh, Jamaican meat pies. It seems like every culture somehow that got all over the world, there's a handheld sort of little pocket kind of sandwich. Yeah, everyone has a dumpling. Everyone has their own dumpling. That sounds like the name of a cute children's book. Everyone has a dumpling. Everyone has a dumpling. I think you should write it. (laughs) Okay, well, let's co-write it together. Because you say pierogi with a good accent, and you could translate that into writing some I'll teach you how to say it. Okay. We'll say pie. Pie. Ro. Ro. Gi. Gi. Pierogi. Pierogi. Did I do it? Okay, good. (laughs) Perfect. Pierogi. Pierogi. I'm Eastern European, too, so I feel like it's inside of me somehow. It is. It is. You can brr, 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 brr. You got to roll that. (laughs) You got to roll that. John is the youngest of five kids and the only boy. So I was curious about your upbringing because I know both of your parents passed away when you were a teenager and you were raised Mm -hmm. by your four sisters. Did they do all the cooking or did you have to learn how to start cooking at that age? No, I, I learned to cook when I was very, very young because here's the situation. Like my dad, you know, had had his problems. So he was absent a bit. So I was in a house full of women and um, being the only boy, it's like you realized, or at least I realized very quickly that my gender kept me one degree separated from being completely part of the tribe, Mm. you know? But my mother was very adamant about, and my grandmother, they were very adamant about me being self-reliant, you know? So I learned how to sew and I learned Mm. how to cook and I learned how to clean and do laundry and do all those things. So... I was cooking dinner, you know, when I was eight years old. You and know, you were cooking for seven, which is not easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not all the time. You know, my mom would cook a lot. She did really well with limited resources. Mm-hmm. She did She did well. I mean, those, those are the kind of things I am always amazed at the way people who have very modest sort of resources can really stretch things out. And it's fantastic. What were some of the things that she made that she stretched out into something delicious? I always knew that we were short of money when dinner 
was a plate of egg noodles with a couple of eggs cracked and scrambled in there and fried in a pan. Like you boil the noodles, throw them in a frying pan with margarine, never butter, and, uh, and then you crack a few eggs in it and fry it, basically. Interesting. I've never actually heard of that combo before. It's like eggs two ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was good. It's good. I, I haven't eaten that in years. You should make it for yourself just to see how the nostalgia tastes. I, yeah, it might make me break down and cry or whatever. But, well, then you so, won't need any salt because your tears will salt it for you. Yes. Yes, you know? my tears are... So, wow. <laughs> that's dark. Saving even more money. God. Wow. <laughs> my mother's tears salted this food. Yep. That's for the next wow. book that we write together. That's the sad one after the dumpling book. I'm kidding. That's yeah. like... That's bordering on like... Stephen Kingish kind of thing. <laughs> or that would be something in a Tim Burton movie. It'd be like this woman who cried into her food to salt it, to season it. Talking about um, you being Polish, your last name means butcher. Yes. Interestingly enough, or maybe it's not that interesting. When I was in college, I dated a girl and her last name was Kwasnik. And Kwasnik means something like sauerkraut maker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that together you guys were like a delicious Polish meal with your two last names. Yeah. Well, my grandmother, Busha, my Busha on Sundays, she would get a pork roast. I don't know what hunk of a pig it was. And she'd put it in a roasting pan. And then she would open up like three or four of these giant cans of sauerkraut, throw it in there. And then put the lid on, just throw it in the oven. It would sit in there all day. It was pretty ridiculous. Polish food is a very aggressive kind of style of eating. A lot of fat, a lot of pork. You know, it's peasant food. sure I've mentioned this before, but when I'm researching a guest before an interview, I start with a very simple search. I just type in their name plus the words food and eating. And when I did this for John, the entire first page of searches was about Rachel Ray making him the perfect chicken breast. I had to know more. Okay. You know, you read about all these um, rock bands who have these ridiculous demands that they make on the promoters, you know? They want caviar and, and things like, prepared to certain Take way. out the and green M&Ms. Vegan. Yeah, just yeah. ridiculous things. And uh, I'm very simple when I'm traveling on the road. All I want is grilled chicken breasts and uh, steamed vegetables, steamed mm-hmm. broccoli, carrots, green beans, you know, whatever, to stay healthy and eat clean. And apparently nobody in this world has ever grilled a chicken breast. I've said broiled and I've gotten them boiled. Oh, you know? gross. Oh, my God. Boiled chicken. It's terrible. Horrible. I mean, the only time boiled chicken is good is if it's in chicken soup and there's like a little chicken that, floating around next to the matzo balls. But like, you don't want that on a yeah, plate. Yeah, to see that on your plate. Then I had one person who decided that putting um, slices of American cheese on top of the George Foreman grilled chicken would be just what I wanted. And uh, that didn't work. So after years of doing this, we were on the Rachel Ray show when she was having musicians on there. And I told her about my problem. And she was so nice that she actually produced a little video explaining how John wants you to make his chicken. And here, let me show you how to do it, which was amazingly nice. So we sent it out to all the promoters. Oh, you did. So you really used this. Yes, we really did. And uh, it didn't work. 
<laughs> it didn't work. Still got the same thing. That is so odd because you just want it the most plain. I wonder why they can't do it. Why do you think? Plain is an incredibly difficult concept or simple is an incredibly difficult concept. Like people love to use adjectives with food. You know, rosemary infused, air dried, Bell and Evans chicken. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to say things like that, you know. Like, I love to go out. I love a good hamburger. Just want a plain burger. I'm not kidding. Like, nine times out of ten, comes back with cheese and mayonnaise on Yeah, yeah. I don't like cheese other than on a pizza. People, and people are like, how can you not like cheese? I'm like, I don't like it um, <laughs> other than on a pizza and only mozzarella. But just saying plain burger doesn't work. So over the years, it became really, like, such a joke almost. It was just like, <laughs> I can't believe what I got. Yeah. Like, look at this, you know, it's like, it's amazing. <laughs> so what I finally had to resort to, which it just shows what kind of a control freak I am. <laughs> Every day on tour, I have a rental car and I find a gym and a Whole Foods or some kind of an organic grocery store, whatever I can find. I go work out and then I go find like rotisserie chicken or something, mm -hmm. at, you know, at the supermarket, take the skin off and cut the breast meat out and then, uh, you know, steam some vegetables or put them in a steamer in the microwave or whatever. And that's how I have dealt with the situation. <laughs> I had to take it into my own hands. And then I get tired of doing that. And then I just go into catering and eat what everybody else is eating. There are days when I give up. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if the version that Rachel Ray did suited your taste because even it she did. didn't just do salt and pepper. She still had like rosemary and thyme and garlic and then lemon on top. And I was like, is this too much? Uh, well, no. no okay. That would have been amazing. Okay. It's just, you know, it's like trying to avoid all the things that are going to kill you. I just read an NPR article titled, Inflation is Rising Prices on Almost Everything Except Rotisserie Chicken. A Costco rotisserie chicken is still just $5. So if you're trying to save money, John's tour chicken diet is inflation proof. All right, put your chicken down. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, John Resnick shares his last meal. your last meal be okay my last meal would be insane it would be insane it would be both the tomahawk steak and the brick chicken from mark forjones restaurant in new york because that is probably the best meal i've ever had in my life oh my god it was the best thing i've ever eaten in my life i've been there a couple of times you know and i'm due i'm due to go back but that is probably yeah the best steak i've ever eaten in my life mm. It makes sense, I guess, with a guy whose last name means butcher that you want these like two big hunks of meat for your last meal. Yeah. <laughs> and I ordered both, both times that I went there because you share them with the whole table. Yeah, yeah. And the potatoes. I love potatoes. I've been trying to make homemade potato chips because someone got me a mandolin slicer and it's really hard to get them hmm. crisp. It's really hard. But even when they're a little soggy, they're still good. So I decided to go a little bit thicker with the mandolin slicer and kind of made like, kind of like home fries, but sort of like potato chips. Yeah. So I would have those kind of potatoes and nothing green <laughs> because I only eat green things because I have to. And then for dessert, I would go to Sweet Lady Jane's in Los Angeles and I would get an apple pie oh. because their apple pie is not too sweet. 
and the apples are still firm. It holds up. Mm. So I'm always like wondering, like, what kind of apples did they use? Did they use Brayburns? Yeah. Did they use and it, and it's not tangy tart, you know? And the crust is so good. And the pie is about that deep. Ooh. And the pie pan. Now, when you buy this pie, they charge you a deposit for the pie pan. So you yeah. bring it back. And I was like, well, forget it. I love this pie pan. I'm taking it home. I mean, it's worth <laughs> 10 bucks, and I'm sure it costs more than $10. And it was from this company called Lloyd's. It's the biggest, deepest pie pan. I just it's built like a tank. Like you could knock someone on the head with it, or you could use it as a helmet. And I love it. Do you actually make apple pies in the pan that you paid for? Uh, I have not made an apple pie, but I did make like a chicken pot pie in it, like a giant chicken pot oh, pie, like a real deep one, like deep dish. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge. It was great. his last meal, John wants the tomahawk steak and the chicken under a brick from the restaurant Marc Forgione in New York City. He wants homemade potato chips, no vegetables, and a deep dish apple pie from Sweet Lady Jane in Los Angeles. And John is certainly not the only celebrity who covets Sweet Lady Jane desserts. Justin Bieber, when he released his yummy record, we did his yummy cake. That's Marty Biberman, COO of Sweet Lady Jane. Paris Hilton, we did her cake for her engagement and birthday. Her and her fiancé were the same day. Jennifer Lopez, we've got Barbara Streisand. We do her cake once a year. She calls direct, and she orders her herself. Schwarzenegger yes. family, Jennifer Gardner, Adam Sandler. We actually did a cake, a high heel cake for Cardi B. She was releasing a new, a new album, and we did a Beyonce recently. Jane Lockhart opened the bakery nearly 35 years ago. Unfortunately, Jane couldn't make the interview. So Marty heroically stepped up to the plate to tell the story of sweet lady Jane. In 1988, she was working in a doctor's office and loved to bake and make desserts. And her husband said, why don't you not do that? Let's start making desserts. And she started baking out of her house and selling wholesale to restaurants. And it took off. And then her husband pushed her to open up for a store, which was open in 1988. She was going with the best ingredients, very simple techniques, perfect sweetness, nothing to be too sweet. Soon after that, the business just took off. Celebrities founded. It's in West Hollywood. Los Angeles people fell in love with the triple berry cake. And that really was one of the big things. Never intending to be the item that was going to be the number one hitting item. The triple berry cake that he just mentioned is layers of vanilla cake, lightly sweetened whipped cream, and fresh berries. All of their desserts are made from scratch using real ingredients. It's famous because it's simple. No one can reproduce it the way it is. The most simple is the most complicated thing. That's Rudy Merlin, vice president of culinary innovation at Sweet Lady Jane. But we're not here to talk about cake. We are here to talk about their deep dish apple pie. John wants to know what kind of apples you use. So we're using uh, Gala and uh, Granny Smith. So give us like the the right amount of acidity and sweetness, as well as texture, because as you know, texture is very important in apple pie. Just the right amount of crunchy and softness. We have five pounds of apple each uh, pie. Five pounds yes. of apple in each pie? Yep. Wow. And the big secret to their crust? Well, there's one key ingredient, which is butter. Butter and more butter. So butter is very important. Do you happen to know, since the word of the day is butter, how much butter you go through, whether it's a day, a week, a month? Do you have a number oh on that? I will tell you, our butter bill for last week was over $20,000. Just for, a week? Give, for yes. a week? Yes. Don't worry, I'm not happy about it either. 
<laughs> Everything's better with butter. It's true. Everything is better with butter. And Sweet Lady Jane fans agree. We make over 3,000 pies for Thanksgiving Day only. Not only baking, but it's also just boxing 3,000 pies up and then getting them delivered to our locations. It's a feat. We're actually starting to plan next month. We'll start planning for Thanksgiving. It takes us that long to get the apple order and to get the pie tin order and all of those pieces together. So we're ready for Thanksgiving. It's a chore. That is a chore. Everything handmade. I mean, how many ovens do you have? We have five rotating ovens and each oven can take 100 pies at a Mm -hmm. time or somewhere in that range. Every year we go, why would we do this again? (laughs) When we're done, no employees want to eat any pies. For until the next year. <laughs> for us, not so much for the storage, but for the bakers and for us here in the office, it's really almost a 20 hour day. And then, then we're followed right by that from Christmas, which is not quite as heavy. Christmas is much more cake, cake heavy mm-hmm. than pie, but we probably sell about 1200 pies for Christmas. So still a lot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a dream about a pie after that or during? <laughs> uh, we've had nightmares. Done a- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The Kardashians have been known to order Sweet Lady Jane pies for Thanksgiving, but they're not always willing to admit it. One year, the Kardashians posted that they made these pies for Thanksgiving, and someone called them out and said, yeah, no way, this is Sweet Lady Jane pie. Don't tell me that. (laughs) Uh, Somebody who tried it or in the picture, they could recognize it was one of your pies. They could recognize it. Our cakes are very, our cakes, pies, all of our desserts are very recognizable. And somebody literally called them out. If you go back, it's probably four years ago and said, these aren't your pies and you didn't bake them. They came from Sweet Lady Jane. (laughs) Copyright those pies, y'all. The Kardashians are coming for you. And shame on you, Kim Kardashian. You're in law school. You should know better about not stealing the intellectual property of people's pies. All right. I told you we were going to talk about both kinds of pies. So let's make a satisfying little check mark on our pie to-do list next to apple pie. And after the break, we're going to move on to pizza. Pizza pie. Pizza pie. It may not have made his last meal list, but because he is a smart and rational human being, John loves a good pizza. We grew up poor, so the big treat on Friday night was a cheese and pepperoni pizza and a two-liter bottle of Coke. Yes. You know? (laughs) And um, you got your little cup of Coke and your slice of pizza, and that was your big treat for the week. So I'm, I'm basic about it. I've ventured out and tried to get all fancy with it. But the thing I love most is, like, really good sausage, onions, and uh, red peppers. If you can get red peppers on like a pizza. Like roasted red peppers? Like roasted red peppers on okay. pizza so, with onions and sausage. So good. That is that, so nostalgic. I have the same feeling of being a kid and getting to have pizza was such a big deal. Same thing. We never went out and getting a pizza was so exciting. And just yeah. like the doorbell ringing when the delivery person came, like my heart, I had like, oh, he's here. Yeah. It was like the neighborhood that I grew up in in Buffalo was a Polish neighborhood. But every block had a bar, a little tiny deli. Every couple of blocks, there was a church, Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Got to be a Catholic church. I didn't know I didn't know what a Protestant was until I was in college. But um, and a pizza place. That was it. Today, John has a couple favorite pizza joints, and they happen to be two of the oldest pizzerias in the United States. First up, Frank Pepe's in New Haven, Connecticut, which I think is the best pizza ever anywhere in the world. It is so great. 
That's a good one. You always make a stop in New Haven. Pepe's was opened in 1925 by Italian immigrant Frank Pepe. The pizzas are baked in coal-fired ovens, and pizza devotees on pizza pilgrimages travel from near and far to wait in line for one of those famous pies. I myself hope to pizza there someday. And John's other favorite pizzeria is a Manhattan legend. I like places like Lombardi's. Coal-fired pizza is the best to Mm -hmm. me because the coal just imparts a flavor, and it's so hot. It burns the crust, and that's, that's really important. I think that having a bit of burnt crust is really important. And the dough pops up and gets the bubbles in it and that. And yeah. I love that. And using really good mozzarella. It's really great. It's, it it's so amazing. I love that. Lombardi's claims to be America's very first pizzeria. It opened in 1905 in what is now known as Little Italy. And if you ever have access to a time machine, I do not recommend traveling back to 1904 or earlier because a pizzaless America is not the kind of America that I want to visit. About 1897, uh, Gennaro Lombardi, the founder, he came to the United States. That's Mike Giamarino, the president and CEO of Lombardi's. He then established Lombardi's as a grocery store initially that was selling little pieces of pizza. There weren't slices back then. He would actually cut off a piece of pizza based on the uh, amount of money you had or or were willing to pay. There were no slices back then. So that's kind of how it all started. Eventually became so popular, he started making pizzas, wrapping them in paper, and all the factory workers in the neighborhood would pick the pizzas up, take them to the factories, put them on the radiator, keeping them warm, and then they would eat them for lunch. And that's kind of how things started. Lombardi's may be the country's first pizzeria, but it lost the title of longest continuously operating pizzeria when it closed in the mid-80s and reopened about a decade later with new owners, Mike's parents. Being in the neighborhood, we were always eating pizza, connoisseurs of pizza. My dad at the time, he basically worked at the pizzeria at the Lombardi's and and hung out with the Lombardi family in the pizzeria. So we kind of had the the gist of the business, even though we weren't running our own pizzerias at the time. In 2004, Mike took over the family business, and he says the Lombardi's are still involved as consultants. I got to eat a Lombardi's a handful of years ago with Scott's Pizza Tours which is one of my top New York City recommendations. The tour that I took was a walking tour. You learn about the history of the neighborhood. And since a lot of pizzerias don't do slices, this way you get to try a bunch of different pizzas without having to commit to sitting down and ordering a whole pie for yourself. Anyway, the thing that stood out to me about Lombardi's and the thing that John mentioned earlier was that they bake their pizzas in a coal oven. The coal is a little different. It's not charcoal that you would be used to like in a barbecue. It's anthracite coal, which is more of the type of coal that would be used to fuel a train. Charcoal is very light. Coal is very dense. And do you still use coal today? Unfortunately, we do not. That was supposed to be a trick question. I was 100% sure that Lombardi still baked its pizzas in a coal oven. I was not expecting that answer. When did the coal stop? What happened was uh, during COVID, we had a little bit of an issue because we had... Um, Lombardi's had expanded years. over the years. When the business next door shut down, they rented out that space, took down a wall, and made the pizzeria bigger. And they did that a few times until they had a very large restaurant. 
But when COVID hit and business screeched to a halt, they could no longer afford all that space. And one of the spaces they had to give up was home to their big old coal oven. That's huge because that's kind of what Lombardi's is known for, the the coal fire oven. What are you using now? And is the pizza different because of it? We have a custom designed electric oven now. And we actually find that, believe it or not, we do get a more consistent and better product because of the fact that we're not dealing with a natural fire. From a historic standpoint, it was sad to see it go, but you know, it wasn't by our choice. I mean, uh, you know, we, we certainly had to overcome a lot to still be in business today, uh, you know, after everything that happened with COVID. The electric oven requires far less attention. The coal oven had to be attended to 24 hours a day. If the fire went out and the oven cooled, Mike said it would just fall apart. Bricks would fall out and joints would loosen. They opened it in 1905. Was there a fire going for like 100 years? The fire was going a very, very long time. Yeah. And what kind of feedback have you gotten, you know, since you switched to electric? Because it sounds like you might be missing that flavor that was the characteristic flavor of your pizza for so long. No, actually, just quite the opposite. Customers that come in now uh, say the pizza is the best that it's ever been. And that's because of the consistency. And because we're cooking still with very, very, very high heat. Because remember, the oven that we have is, is custom. So we were able to recreate the actual high heat that we were using with the coal. So you're getting everything is exactly the same. You cannot even tell the difference in the in the look of the pizza. It's virtually identical. The first pizza of the day, the last pizza of the day, and everything in between is perfection. I have a dear friend who is, I'm pretty sure, listening to this right now, who occasionally sends me messages when I post breathtaking photos of the pizzas that I make in my uni pizza oven on Instagram. And this friend has the nerve, the gall, to tell me that my beautifully burnished pizzas are burnt. Mike knows this feeling very well. Because of the high heat, you get the characteristic, what we call charring or blistering. That's the, a hallmark of that style of pizza. The problem is, unless you're really a, a pizza aficionado, most people don't understand it and think maybe in some cases the pizza is burnt. But it's supposed to have the characteristic char. We put on our menu to let people know ahead of time that if they want it cooked light, we can do it. But that's not the standard. I guess my friend is not, as Mike put it, a pizza aficionado. When Gennaro Lombardi came to the United States, he made pizza in the Italian Neapolitan style. But he had American ingredients and a coal oven that all the bread bakers were using at the time. So the pizza morphed into his own style. And Mike says Lombardi set the standard for the style known today simply as New York pizza. One thing that I love about your menu is that it's pretty classic. We always try to stick with the basics. We, we never really wanted to get too crazy because we feel that the more stuff that you put on the pizza... First off, it actually ruins the pizza because you're, you're losing its identity. You have three very simple ingredients. You have the bread aspect of it with the flour. You have the fresh tomato and you have the mozzarella cheese. Once you start putting toppings on the pizza, it kind of changes it and you don't really taste those main toppings anymore because they get diluted. The original topping was, was anchovy. That was it. A little bit later on down the road, it was maybe some sausage. 
And past that, we really didn't start adding these other toppings until a little later on. COVID was so hard on so many restaurants. You think of places like yours as untouchable. You know, it's this legacy. It has to survive. It always will survive, though. Always have an audience. Uh, but it sounds like you you had some trouble. Were you guys in danger of, of closing completely? Let me tell you something. Prior to COVID, you would have thought that. I must tell you, it was really, really, really close to not surviving. Honestly, the only reason we survived is because of the neighborhood. You know, we became such a visitor centric place. And then when all the visitors stopped coming because of all the travel restrictions and the support of the neighborhood was unbelievable, how they rallied around us. Without that, Lombardi's would have been history. We, we would not have made it. You know, we're not really 100% out of the woods. I mean, we still have a little ways to go to uh, get back to anywhere normal of where we were before. Let's get back to John. After more than 30 years in the music industry, he is living life alcohol-free. You've hit now, what, seven years, eight years? Yeah, last November 17th was seven years. Seven years. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been crazy. I mean, it's been great. And I'm, I'm grateful every day for that. It's just every day, every morning. Every country I've ever been to, it's like alcohol and drinking is, it's such a social thing and it ties people together in a very tight way. Yeah. And it was and it was strange. The thing that bothered me the most about not drinking was the, the social aspect of it because there was nothing I loved more than going out to dinner and eating great food and drinking wine with all my friends yeah. and sitting at a dinner table for three or four hours, you know, and just having fun you know like i tried to stay away from everything and everybody with the drinking and then it was sort of like i can't do this i can't do this my problem with alcohol is my problem not everyone else is around me so let everybody else do what they want and if i feel uncomfortable i'm like i'm out thank you had fun but gotta go if the little guy is going hey come on just have one glass of wine nope i love you guys bye but now when i have people over to my house i'm the bartender it's really funny all the guys my age in the neighborhood it was funny because i'm like shaking up the martinis and stuff and but i'm pouring martinis and these guys are getting blasted and they're like when i first moved in you know they thought it might be kind of strange having a musician live here like i didn't know what to expect like it was gonna be wild parties i'm like i'm the only sober guy in the room right now so you know what do you drink when everyone's drinking alcohol when at your house when you're making drinks what do you have I club soda. Yeah. Tons of club soda with lime, ice. I'm good. You're not making fancy mocktails? <laughs> no, I tried that. I, t- you know, I mean, I tried everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I just had to admit it. Can't do it. Can't do it. And being from Buffalo, John is required by law to know the ins and outs of the city's most famous food. I am known as being an expert on buffalo wings. Oh, you're standing up a little bit in your chair yeah. just talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. getting ready. I was a cook in restaurants. I was a dishwasher and cook in restaurants for a long time. And buffalo is where it originated. And it was the 80s when I was a teenager. And so they teach you how to make chicken wings. It's ridiculously simple. Simple, but not easy. I think a lot of cooks find that the simplest dishes are the most difficult to prepare. Yes, I agree. Like the chicken with the cheese on top, everybody's got to futz with it, you know, and add fennel to their to their wing sauce. It's like, it's real simple. You have to have a fryer. It has to be as hot as you can get it. 
You have to pat the chicken wings dry so there's not a lot of water in them. You have to fry them for about 18 to 20 minutes because you want to get that crispy crust. And the sauce is just just butter. And the only hot sauce to use is Frank's Red Hot. Yeah. No other. There's no other sauce to use. And you just mix the butter and the hot sauce together till it's the right spiciness that you want. And then you let the wings sit for a little bit, you know, after they come out of the fryer, a couple of minutes. And then you toss them in, this, in the sauce. And that's all it is. There's no salt. There's no Worcestershire sauce, no mustard, no nothing. This is the way you make the perfect chicken wings. And that was John Resnick's last meal. Next week, the Goo Goo Dolls take off on their summer tour. They're playing all over the country through September, including at one of my favorite venues, Chateau Saint-Michel in Woodinville, Washington. You can find a link to their concert schedule in the show notes. Thanks to Mike Giamarino, president of Lombardi's Pizza. Imagine being the president of pizza. Mike says they're getting ready to launch nationwide pizza delivery through Gold Belly. So probably sometime next month, we're going to be shipping pizzas nationwide. Thanks to Marty Breverman and Rudy Merlin from Sweet Lady Jane. They just opened three new locations in the last year. So if you're in the L.A. area, stop by one of their five locations. Your Last Meal is produced by me and Laura Scott. Theme music by Seattle's very own prom queen. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.yourlastmealpodcast.com. That's where you can send us a message. Or make sure you're following along on Instagram to see the fun stuff. I'm Hello Rachel Bell. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Oh, there's one other place that I would go for my last meal, too. Ooh, where? There's one part of my last meal that I forgot to talk about. The Wild Boar Papardel at uh, La Conda Venita in Los Angeles. Okay. Is... How'd that work? How do you make that sound? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I... <laughs> so good. Mine's silent. Mine's broken. <laughs> Just you gotta, you know. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I think that's a photograph of you eating a popsicle in a car. You are right. I think that yours is a black screen with your name on it in white letters. Yeah, that's that's pretty. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> you look good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Shall we reveal yeah. ourselves? Of course. Okay. I should have put lipstick on. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I fall in love with her like every other day again all over. I love seeing you talk about your daughter because you really light up. Like, it's so obvious that you love being a dad. Oh, my God. I love her so much. Well, there's days I hate it. I'm just like, oh, my God. I call my manager. I'm like, you got to get me a gig like in Belarus or someplace. I just got to get out of here for a couple of days. Yeah.